Welcome, friends, to a new TechBound podcast episode. My guest today is Jimmy Daly. Jimmy recently founded Superpath and is the former VP of Growth at the content marketing agency Animals. Animals has been one of my favorite sources to learn more about content marketing, but now Jimmy has set out to start his own company and help content marketers accelerate their career path. In this TechBound podcast episode, Jimmy and I speak about anything content marketing related, how to build your own career, how to accelerate it, what content marketing systems work, what good content marketing is, bad content marketing, you name it. Make sure to check it out, give me a thumbs up or a like, and make sure to subscribe to the TechBound podcast. Three, two, one. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here, man. Jimmy, why is there so much lukewarm and mediocre content out there? This is this may be a dissatisfying answer, but I think it's mostly just because creating good content is hard to do. I, I spent a couple of years working in animals, a content marketing agency, and it was interesting because you get to you just get to look into how so many different companies and so many different content teams operate. And uh, you start to notice patterns. And it seemed like there was a handful of things that um kind of put a ceiling on the quality that a, a team was able to put out. And so often those are institutional barriers, right? Like many companies just view content as a channel in the same way that they would PPC and SEO and other things. And there, and while I, I understand that, especially from like a CMO's perspective, in order for the, for the quality to be good, content teams need the ability to kind of stretch their, creative muscles. They need to be able to try things that might fail. They need to be able to um, kind of make themselves and maybe the brand just a little bit vulnerable as they're trying new things. And so like so often that was the thing. It was just like, we need a report. It it has to cost this much and it must be done by this date. And with those constraints, it becomes difficult to make the stuff really stand out, you know, versus some of the teams we worked at where um, content was really baked into the culture. It's a top-down thing. Like from the highest levels of the company, the the founders and the execs believed in narrative, and they believed in uh, building a strong brand by telling stories, and they, and they wanted to educate people and build communities, and, and like that that type of thing creates an, a very uh, rich environment for creating good content. So, uh, it's sort of a long, maybe dissatisfying answer, but it's just hard to do. And it's it's hard to do in a silo too. It's much easier to be done in a, in a company where content is um, uh, appreciated and given the, the room and the space to thrive. Talk a little bit about how some of those teams that are doing a really good, good job at this are structured. Like, can you maybe point out a couple of examples and don't have to name any names, but just like a real life example of a team that you... Um, helped um that does a really good job at content marketing how they're set up and what their workflow looks like yeah it's so okay this is interesting i actually so for super, we'll talk about super health i'm sure but we actually just created a course on content team structure and as part of it i went and interviewed five different people who run five very different content teams and uh there were very few similarities i was i was actually struck by how different the teams were um there were teams where uh the content, the, there was a, a single group of content folks who served as the, the content creators for any growth strategy, but also as like an internal agency to the rest of the company. So they're supporting product marketing and sales and um, 
even customer support, like they're, they're supporting all other aspects of any, any written word they're responsible for. And then there was others where um, that wasn't the case at all. Content was actually a very small team within a large organization and they had a single, a single goal, which might be uh, customer acquisition or MQLs or whatever. Um, and, and each of those things can work. Each can work very well. It seemed like, um, you know, in, in my experience at animals and working with dozens of different companies, the, the things that enable teams to be really successful, it had less to do with team structure and more to do with buy-in. You know, some companies are started like from day one, like there's a, there's a kind of nice anecdote about intercom where, uh, one of the founders wrote the first 200 blog posts themselves. And like that created this culture of content that has existed now for years. That's not going to happen in every company, but, but it doesn't mean you can't get buy-in, you know? Um, so of the companies where, uh, where they really were successful, there was a few similarities. One is that they had at least piloted content and seen that it could be successful and that gave them the confidence to pursue a strategy that probably was long-term and that they knew wasn't going to work immediately and that there would be things to iron out over time. Budget was interestingly not a factor. There were some very large companies we worked with that stunk at content because there was way too much red tape. Uh, there were legal teams that would yeah, quote unquote de-risk content until it was it, there was nothing left. Um, and then there were small teams where maybe it was just one person plus a freelancer who were doing amazing work because they had bold ideas and nothing in their way. Um, and then there's plenty of middle ground too. Like every, every, every content team works with some constraints. Uh, sometimes constraints actually can be productive as long as they're not the type that, um, uh, that hinder good creative work, you know, uh, when it's all about dollars and cents and all about the data, it, it, you know, again, I, I get why people do it. I get why they want to know what's the ROI and when is it going to be done and when will it deliver results and all that. But um, content is just one of those things that requires a little more patience. So like the, the environments where patience was um, was a positive thing, you know, that those, those teams were able to create really good work, even if it wasn't on their first try. Sorry, I know that was another long-winded answer. <laughs> I want the long-winded answer. <laughs> um, and to follow up on that, how do some of the best content teams or content marketing teams in the game measure their success. Mm. That too varied. Um, you know, increasingly at animals, it was interesting because in the three or three and a half years I was there, the content marketing landscape shifted quite a bit. And so what started was just page views, like just top line page views, all folks cared about. Um, this kind of nice shift happened where people were much more curious about, you know, running a campaign for three or six months with a, with a very specific target and then reevaluating after that period to see, you know, what's the next thing, should we continue this or is there something more important we should be looking at? So I can think of teams where, um, the primary goal was month over month organic traffic growth. And that was something that we felt very comfortable with, uh, as an agency like that, we could, that we could help move the needle on a number like that. Uh, the relative growth, I think is also super important as opposed to just kind of shooting for like arbitrary absolute numbers. Um, I can think of other teams too, where it was just demos. All, all we care about is demos. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of look at those, uh, that other kind of metadata that orbits the one core metric, but like really just drive demos for us. And then I can think of other, of other teams who, um, had maybe been doing this for a while 
maybe they had had a track record of like five or so years of really successful content and they actually stopped measuring it or at least stopped measuring it so tightly because at that point they, it was obvious that it was working and it was obvious that when uh, all of the relevant content metrics were trending in the right direction, that trials or signups or MQLs or whatever other metric they were looking at was paralleling that. And it's very difficult to, um, to analyze it in a way that uh, makes causation obvious, but there's the correlation is, is always obvious if those numbers are heading in the right direction. So yeah, th there was actually interestingly very few people we work with, and I'm talking across like a hundred different B2B SaaS companies who were really into um, like influence pipeline and multi-factor attribution and things like that. I, I was actually surprised I thought we'd get more of that and we didn't. I think a lot of teams had tried it, dabbled with it, realized it was way too complicated and not that effective anyways. And so they had just picked those like handful of like kind of North Star, quote unquote, North Star metrics and just focused on those. I want to talk a little bit about that um, problem of correlation and causation in the context of content marketing and also pitching and selling content marketing. So I think there's kind of a connection here between making space for the creative and going after a hard business impact. And I would love to dissect that mm. a little bit. So my question is, how do you pitch content marketing internally, say to the uh, to executives or to the leadership in terms of business impact? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the The numbers you measure should have dollar signs in front of them. <laughs> you know, like that was that was always the the main thing. And so during that time in Animals, I was our sales guy for two years, and I spent a lot of time on calls trying to convince skeptical executives that they should hire animals to do their content marketing. And, uh, and so often it was about narrowing the scope of the projects, making them feel comfortable that there was uh, a very clear, very specific plan to achieve a single number. That's something that even someone who is completely unfamiliar with content marketing could be comfortable with. Um, and so there were a number of customers that we worked with where all the content we did was sales enablement or kind of bottom of the funnel stuff like case studies and things like that. Um, part of that was because it's what the business needed. And part of it was because that's what whoever was uh, in charge of the purse strings felt comfortable with. How do you then make kind of space for the creative? Because I noticed my own experience and work with other companies that when, when the dollar amount is over-indexed and people pay too much attention to the dollar amount, it then becomes really tough to create these top-of-the-funnel pieces or pieces of content that are not directly related to revenue, but sometimes necessary for link building or brand awareness or just awareness in general. So how do you get that balance right? How do you create enough space for the creative to happen? I think it. I think the creatives have to earn that, right? They have to earn the the trust. Like this is, gosh, probably five or six years ago, I was talking with Greg Ciotti, who at the time was leading up content at Help Scout. And uh, I was just, he, he had offered to let me pick his brain. And it was so interesting to hear because the Help Scout blog five, six years ago, I mean, they were crushing it. And uh, what he told me was that for them, SEO pays the bills and that gives him creative freedom. Like he, had, it helped him earn the trust of anyone who might be skeptical that content marketing was actually working. And then that gave him room to do all kinds of interesting creative things. And still you have to tie those things to business objectives and all of that good stuff. But um, if you have one thing or, or maybe two or three things that, that 
pay the bills, right? That drive the traffic and and drive the leads, demos, whatever. Um, that's pretty cool because now you can pitch a bigger project. You can ask for a little more budget. You could um, think about bringing on a contractor. You you know you you just have you just have freedom to do so much more. I love that angle, by the way, that creators have to to earn that right. Um, and uh, I think that actually is very transferable to lots of uh, different roles in marketing, like SEOs in the same realms, right? Like I think SEOs first have to prove that they can uh, make an impact and then they might get more leeway or resources to try things out or take a couple more risks. Um, so I love that angle. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's also kind of a flip side to it. It's sort of like a both things must be true situation where... A lot of the folks that we worked with, and this I've come across this so many times in my career where um, you pitch an idea and your manager, your boss, your potential client says, well, let's pilot it. Let's do a small pilot. And if that goes well, then maybe we'll proceed. And that so often doesn't work well in content marketing because the first thing you try is actually quite likely to not work. And But you have to do it so that you can get the feedback so that you can iterate and make it work. Um, that was a huge challenge in doing sales and animals because everybody says, oh, well, we'll do a pilot and then and then we'll decide. And it's like, the pilot's probably going to stink if you say, um, you know, write an article and impress us. And if we're working without all of the necessary context and, and without going through the onboarding process that we'd like to go through. And that's the same true working in-house too, right? Like whipping up an amazing piece of content in a silo is incredibly difficult, right? Kind of within, you know, building a full strategy, going through all the proper steps, et cetera. Like that's how the work becomes really good. So, but it's like, you have to earn the trust and you have to be able to, you know, do a huge project all at once without uh, piloting some small piece of it. Like it's a tough balance. Yeah. There's, I don't know any easy way to navigate that. It's just sort of a matter of uh, trying and failing and trying again. Imagine that a big brand came to you and uh, they wanted your help with content marketing. What are the first two or three things that you think about just with that kind of setting? Um, first couple of things. How do you acquire customers? What are your proven channels? Uh, what's your cost of acquisition? What's your average revenue per user? Like those are the things that I'd want to know because those are typically the things that inform a, a really good content strategy. Um, yeah, I sort of, I, I find myself harping on this a lot, but I find that content marketing has, has sometimes gets pigeonholed into this one thing, which is we use content to drive top of funnel interest and that like, that's it. And so that's why I like to say, all right, we're not going to talk about traffic until we have a much better understanding of the business. And so if we can see, for example, that um, the average revenue per user is pretty high and the sales cycle is pretty long. I can already start imagining what that content strategy is going to look like. It's not, it's not really about driving tons of traffic. Um, it's about demand generation. It's about the bottom of the funnel stuff. It's about working very closely with a sales team, you know, versus like a, a product led company. that's all self-serve sales um, who really needs that volume in order to be successful or like a freemium product, which would be like the, the, the other extreme. Like if 90% of your users are free because you know you acquire them through the Chrome extension library. Like that's a whole different thing. So like those are the things I'd want to understand before we start pitching creative ideas. And help me understand a little bit the difference between a content marketing campaign that drives out of volume, maybe acquires out of traffic, 
versus a content marketing campaign or strategy for a company with long sales cycles and a very low volume of traffic? It, it probably, the, probably the biggest thing is where the content is distributed. That that's, and then, and then that kind of leads you to what type of content do we need? So like, for example, you're in, say you're a mobile app, a, a Chrome extension, a, some kind of freemium product, or like a lot of to-do list apps fall into this category too. Those folks are going to need volume, which they're probably going to get through SEO. Like that's, that's their best bet for generating lots of volume. So then that leads us down a path of, uh, you know, doing really good keyword research, understanding what the competitive landscape looks like, um, brainstorming ways that we're going to differentiate content because, you know, SEO content often tends to converge over time because everyone's measuring the same like handful of things. There's ways to do it still. It's just like, it, it's, it's a different challenge than that the other company with the three to six month sales cycle selling $10,000 a year contracts. Um, in that case, it's much more likely going to be about, uh, hopefully they've already got a strong email list. If not, we're going to help them build that. You know, hopefully the sales team is already using some content as part of their lead gen uh, efforts. And hopefully they have some assets that they're actually using like throughout the sales process to keep people engaged. If not, like those are all huge opportunities and they're going to be distributed in this very like one-off fashion. And you're going to write it differently because of that. I think the thing about content that I'm always looking for, regardless of who it, who the who the reader is, what the strategy is, is is the company uh, able to elevate ideas above all else? Like a, like a good piece of content should uh, present a single idea, present it very clearly. Hopefully, present it in a in a new way, maybe a counterintuitive way. Give us some interesting perspective on it, like as opposed to just churning out things to check a box, you know, which is, that's kind of the, that's the danger with SEO content. And that's kind of obvious to most content folks, but it's also the danger with a lot of bottom of the funnel stuff too. It's very easy to put together a case study that just checks boxes. And there's so much room for creativity within that style of content. Um, that requires, yeah, it's a, requires a little more effort to make it happen. But like, to me, it always comes down to, are you elevating ideas and is that, do the ideas shine through? Because those are the things that, that, that really resonate with people. Where does that effort go into? And it, it, I think what I'm getting to is a little bit what distinguishes the really good content marketing teams from the bad ones or campaigns or strategies. Um, but when you say that requires a bit more effort, um, where would that be invested in? Mm, probably. So I'll give you another, sorry, I keep using animals examples. Um, I just, there's just so many of them, you know, because we work with so many companies. And so we just went through this over and over and over again. When I first joined animals, this is uh, three and a half years ago. And in my, one of my very first days at the company, um, uh, Walter Chen, the founder, kind of walked me through how they would come up with content ideas for customers. And I, it was I, I couldn't believe it. Like the way that they did this was so crazy to me. Like they would write out 20, 30, 40 potential ideas and then beat the, beat the crap out of all of them until there was just two or three left. As, as a content marketer, as someone who really cares about this stuff, I was just so happy. I was just so happy that this is how they were doing it, you know, because they would, they would take an idea, you know, it's like, 
the obvious way people do this is they do some keyword research and then they say, okay, we'll do ultimate guide to insert keyword here. And it needs to be 3,500 words long because the current number one result is 3,200 words, stuff like that. And they just kind of threw that whole thing out the door. And so they would take the keyword and uh, come up with every possible angle that they could come up with on that keyword and then go do a little bit of research. Has anyone written about this? Can we find any cool anecdotes? Is there data to support this? And they would just start crossing things off. And then throughout the process, you're generating more ideas and you're crossing off a lot of those. And so like our kind of like success rate for coming up with good blog post ideas was probably like 5%. Like 5% of the ideas that we actually wrote down were actually worth writing. The other 95% weren't wasted. Like that was the process that got us to the, to the point. So like, that's where I think the effort should be invested. It's very easy to write a great blog post if you're starting from a strong position where you have a great idea. Like the blog post where you read the title and you already can kind of imagine where this is going and you want you still want to go down that road. Like that's what that's what we were looking for. And I think a good follow-up question to that would be what are some of the best content marketing campaigns that you have seen? I can think of a lot that were uh successful but didn't have any buzz. You know, like there was a number of clients we worked with at animals where we crushed like we crushed it together. We did awesome work together. Uh, but it was it was silent. Like it was building up, you know, a massive organic engine, uh, which doesn't generate any buzz, but you know, it, it delivers for the customer. One content, one content campaign that has always hung with me is, um, and I'm dating myself a little bit here is, was, uh, Groove's journey to hundred K MRR. I don't know if you remember that. This is like 2013, 2014. They came up with this concept, this, I, I think their tagline was like, from aha to oh shit, follow our journey to 100K MRR, which is just uh, is a great tagline. And it, the reason I, was a few reasons I loved it. One is it created the expectation that this was gonna be going on for a while. It's an ongoing thing, which like immediately gets a reader engaged. Um, in this case, they were being very transparent about the things that they were learning and struggling with. And that's not for everybody, but it's, it's very intriguing for readers. There was an expectation that at some point the journey would end which I, which also I think drew in readers, like they weren't signing up for this thing that might go on and on forever. Like they, they wanted to know how does this, how is this going to turn out? It was like, it was like a TV show, you know, they kind of built in this episodic content, all building towards this big goal. Uh, interestingly, once they got there, I don't like the buzz was lost and then they turned it into journey to 500 K MRR and then to something else. But at that point, I don't even think it mattered anymore because they had built up a significant domain authority and then they could rank for all the things they wanted to rank for that were actually going to move the needle for their business. You know, it's sort of like a loss leader to get them the ability to rank for all the customer support related keywords that were going to be super important for them. But I always love that because it just, it, it just really, it captured the attention of the whole startup world for a little while there. You mentioned something a little earlier where you said um, something about feeding an email list. So I think, I think there's this myth out there that content marketing is either an infographic or one of these like ultimate guides to something. Update me on, on a unrealistic on view on what great or outstanding content marketing actually is. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that probably differs a little bit from one company to the next. Some companies are out there to build a brand. And that's a little bit different than building traffic or, or sort of working towards other metrics. 
for companies that are looking to build a brand, um, content marketing looks like great ideas, uh, a very tight style guide, you know, a distinct voice and tone on that blog. It relies on uh, individuals to be out there kind of repping the brand, you know, like the, the marketing team needs to be, have their names and faces out there. Uh, it probably involves other mediums like audio and video because those just sort of fit so nicely into like a, like a persona driven brand. And that can work great for some companies. And then there's this other bucket of folks who don't, aren't so interested in that. It's really just about like, these are the numbers we need to hit and content can help us get it. Content can help us get there. And for those folks, it looks much more like usually driving towards uh, a really strong organic engine. Very, like, as I like to say, silent success where like, if a post drives a hundred thousand organic visits a month and zero social shares, it creates no buzz, but is probably driving tons of business for the company. It's like a totally different strategy where it can just be quiet under the radar, but crushing it. There's, there's blends of those two things too. Like kind of like I mentioned with Groove, they kind of use this, this little movement that they created to kickstart what became a great organic engine. So they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but those are like the two that come to mind. I want to shift gears a little bit to super path. So still going to somewhat stay in the realms of content marketing, but I want to zoom in on your personal journey. So you were a VP of growth at animals, and then you decided to start super path, which is by the way, a career resource for content marketers. Why, what was the motivation? Hmm. Uh, I've had the itch for a long time. Like I've, I've had the itch to do this try it, see if I can do it on my own for a long time. A few years ago, I started a Slack community and it's called uh, Content Marketing Career Growth. And I started it on a whim because I felt like there's, I don't know where to go to talk about my own career. I assume that's probably true for other people too. And it, uh, it grew just totally organically. I didn't do anything to facilitate that. And people kept joining and there was really awesome conversations happening. And, um, uh, I started to think like, maybe there's something here. Like maybe this is, could be more than just a Slack group. And then fast forward a year or so. And, and my, uh, my boss, Walter at animal said, Hey, why don't you start a company and I'll help you. And I was like, really? Like, this is going so well at animals. Like, I'm surprised you want to kick me out to like, go do this other thing. And, and he was like, he had told me from the very beginning when I very first joined that he one day hoped to build a great team and then help people on that team go and start their own businesses. And it, it became true. Like it took, it took a while, you know, because we were trying to build animals first. Um, but that, that was like, okay, wow. Okay. Like with us together and like w Walters doesn't work on the business day to day, but he's absolutely a co-founder. He's my only investor and, um, his confidence, I think is what helped me make that leap. Like he told me, you know, you've been doing content for a long time. Now I've been doing sales for a long time. He was like, I think, I think you have the skill set, you know? And, and like that, that gave me the confidence to say, okay, like let's, I've had the itch, like, let's make it happen. Let's make it reality. Those couple things came together. Like I had this little kind of seed of a thing going with the Slack group. I had the confidence of someone that I really trust. Um, and so, yeah, so we, I made the leap and we're, you know, six or seven months in now. How's it going? It's good. Wow. Uh, it's challenging. It's definitely challenging. Um, there's so much more. 
I mean, this is so obvious. Like there's so much more that goes into it than I expected. Like, I'm glad that I was naive going into it. Um, because I think if I had known exactly what was involved, it would have scared me off. Um, but it's overall, it's good. I mean, we have, um, we have three lines of business open right now. We have this Slack group, which is awesome. It's just like bustling with activity. Um, and we're helping people like, that's the thing that I like gets me up in the morning is like, we're building courses, which are helping people level up their skills. Like we have a job board where we're helping people find better career opportunities. You know, we have a blog where we're sharing, interviewing folks and sharing like lessons learned from other folks' careers that people can learn. So there's just like, there's a, there is kind of like an altruistic element of this business, which I love because it's all about kind of empowering other people to take charge of their careers and, uh, and grow. Yeah, I really love that section on the Superpath website where you interviewed content marketers and also show how much money they make yeah. anonymously and then how what they do and how they got there and stuff. I thought that was very inspiring. So t tell me about the vision for Superpath. Paint me a picture of what Superpath will be in 10 years. Mm, that Wow. Uh, I don't know. I, th so there, I have a couple of visions. I mean, part the, the way the business is structured is uh, I've drawn inspiration from a few different places. Um, one is really successful communities like MakerPad. Like they've built an amazing business via community. Uh, I've also drawn inspiration from job boards like WeWork Remotely, which have become these hubs for great remote jobs. That's like another kind of world I'm drawing inspiration from. I'm also drawing inspiration from uh, professional associations, which content marketers don't have. Lots of other uh, fields have them. We, we don't. So I, there's an element of, I don't, I don't want to kind of formalize it in that way, but there's definitely an element of that here where you would come here for the same things. And then there's, a, then there's this whole other thing, which is content marketing. Like I want to build this business. Like I know content marketing works. I want to build it with content marketing too. So it's going to be maybe not quite a, a full-blown publisher, but that's going to be a significant part of the business. Maybe we'll monetize it one day. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But um, I hope that in 10 years, we have uh, a massive community of content marketers who are learning, helping one another, supporting each other, um, sharing lessons, all that good stuff. I hope that we have um, a job board that is connecting people with great opportunities and also changing the way that companies hire content marketers. You know, a lot of companies that hire content marketers don't know how to do it because it's not a core competency of that business. Um, so kind of like building, building the industry by kind of educating companies on how this should work, giving them data on salaries, uh, helping them uh, kind of scope out what a person's responsibilities should look like so that they can be successful, stuff like that. Um, and then the last piece, I guess, would be our membership, which is our paid membership, um, which to me, every, I mean, of course I think this, but I think every company should sign their team up for our paid subscription because you're getting courses. We have networking, we do office hours. Like there's so many things that go into it that maybe you could get at a conference once a year, but not, not in 2020, um, that you can get on an ongoing basis. So yeah, in 10 years, yeah, 10 years, I, I just hope that like we're reaching, enough people that were actually can can affect change in the entire industry i love that and give my full support for that vision um i want to dissect a little bit the two parts of that marketplace you mentioned that a lot of companies um don't know how to hire content marketed marketers or are not efficient at that 
how should companies think about hiring content marketers? I think that they should consult people who have built content teams in the past. Like that's the biggest thing because the thing that I notice about the job descriptions that I read is that they're asking so much of people. Like they want someone with 10 years experience to write three blog posts a week and manage a team of five people and like coordinate uh, with the CMO on marketing. Like they just want so much out of people. And um, it, it, it just sort of creates an environment, it creates an environment where disappointment is so likely, <laughs> you know, that like they're not going to find the person they're looking for. And whoever they do hire is going to walk into an environment where the expectations are not realistic. So I think it is that, that this is part of the reason why I wanted to build a course on how to build a content team and to get the perspectives of a bunch of different people, because there's different ways to do it. There's no one right way. Uh, but there's a lot you can learn from people who have done it and failed and tried again and iterated and all of that. So I feel like the biggest thing is for companies who hire content marketers frequently, like an agency, like they're going to figure it out. Um, for companies that hire one or two content marketers a year, it will never be a core competency. I would highly recommend talking to people that have done it before um, so that you can avoid some of the same mistakes that, that some of those folks have made. And let's talk about the other side of that market. So how should content marketers think about their careers? How, how, do they, how should they build a career? How should they develop their skills? What experience should they collect? That's a great question. Uh, there's... Um, there's a few things that I recommend to all the folks I talk to. One would be seek out a company where you can thrive. Like don't go to a company who's testing out content for the first time. Like go to a place where they've proven it at least to the degree that they're willing to make a long-term investment in this. Because if you go in a situation where you're going to be fighting for every inch, it's going to exhaust you and it's going to be a pain in the ass. That's one thing. Another would be to hit your wagon to a company that's growing. Uh, that's a huge career thing. So maybe you go to a small company that looks like it has potential. Um, that's going to give you all kinds of interesting opportunities that you might not get in other places. Um, the same can be true of a large company too, depending on the type of work you do, but like go to a company that is growing and where content marketing can fuel that growth as opposed to a company that is stagnant and is hoping and praying that this could be the thing that finally gets them going. Go to a place where your manager understands content marketing. That's a huge one. You know, talk to whoever your direct manager will be. Get an understanding of uh, have they ever done content marketing themselves? Um, how are they going to measure you? What, what do they expect your day to day to look like? How are they going to be supporting you? Like you've got to understand all of those things. And then for the individuals, the skills that you need are um, content marketing is funny in that there's so many quote unquote soft skills that make a content marketer successful. There's there's a handful of hard skills like writing, like obviously you need to be a strong writer, but increasingly I find that folks who are successful are very good uh, communicators. They're, they're good leaders. Uh, they're very organized, you know, like they can take a bunch of disparate pieces and put them all together. They can kind of like rally their a team around them to help get a big project from A to Z. Those are skills that don't really have anything to do with content marketing, but that are just absolutely essential to thriving in a tiny little startup or a giant enterprise uh, because all of those work environments kind of look the same. It's like a little chaotic. There's a lot going on. You can't get anything done by yourself. So you've got to be able to work well with other people. Um, so those are the, those are the skills. Like the, interestingly, like, like got to be able to write well. You got to be able to communicate, organize, lead. You probably need to be pretty handy with a spreadsheet too. Like I encourage 
all content marketers to be, you know, uh, not just proficient, but really good in Google Sheets or Excel, because you have to be able to answer the questions that your execs are inevitably going to ask about how this is going. And you've got to be able to show that data and, and, and build a story around it. So that would be another one that uh, is kind of less common, but I think increasingly important. Um, I wanted to come full circle and uh, talk about your content marketing strategy for Superpath. Uh, so you mentioned you mentioned earlier that you've been uh, working on that. Um, what, how did you think about that initially? Now that we have, or you know, just because we have a very tangible example here, and how do you think about that in the future? What are the next steps? Yeah, it's actually it's really hard. I'm surprised at how challenging it's been. the The biggest constraint is that it's just me right now, and I do hope to build a team one day, but. Uh, right now, it's just me. Um, so the huge majority of my content creation time is going to our paid membership. So I'm building courses and uh, templates and worksheets and all this kind of stuff for our for our paid members. Um, that doesn't leave a ton of time and energy for our blog and podcast. Um, so I'm relying on a couple things. One is I, I do write content. I just don't do it as frequently as I would like. We do a podcast because that's kind of a low lift way for me to get really high value information out there to people and get lots of new perspectives, right? So like by interviewing others, we learn all about many different career tracks and opportunities versus, you know, whatever, just mine, which is not, not that interesting and, and not representative. Um, and then something I'm experimenting with, which I've never done before, uh, but is actually working really well is user generated content. So you mentioned, uh, actually, and you probably know a lot about this world at G2, the user-generated content is, uh, is kind of amazing because someone else creates it for you. It creates problems too, because like you still need to like kind of check for quality. Um, we're doing this in two ways right now. And I, and I have a third brewing, uh, one is that we run surveys in our Slack community and then I publish the results of those. And that's great because like we can ask a question get a bunch of input, and then I can spin up a quick article um, that just reports on what we found. Another is this series we're doing called the 100K Club, where we publish anonymous interviews with folks who work in content marketing that make more than $100,000 a year. That's been a huge hit. And it, it, it's nice because it kind of, like people want to be part of it because it like taps into this ego thing a little bit. You know what I mean? So I have folks who are pretty consistently reaching out and say, hey, I want to put mine up there which is awesome. And those are very easy to quality check because like these are very high level content marketers writing content for our blog. It's fantastic. And then the next thing that, I, that I'm, I'm playing around with is um, uh, another anonymous thing where we're going to track a few people through job searches. So they're going to kind of report back to us on why they're looking for a job, how it's going, what's, what's happening in their interviews. Like we're going to just get kind of like follow them along. We're going to do it anonymously just so that people, you know, whatever, if it doesn't work out, they don't want their employer to know that kind of thing. It's been good. I've had to, I've wrestled with the UGC thing a little bit because like I'm used to, for the most part, creating it, creating stuff myself or working very closely with a team of writers who I really trust. Uh, so it's a little weird to just have like people I don't know writing stuff for a blog that I feel responsible for. Um, but I'm learning, you know, I'm learning and it's helping us scale in a way that like, I just, I just couldn't do on my own. Yeah. It's so weird with, first of all, that all sounds amazing and exciting. And I'm pretty certain you would have like loads of success with that. 
but also referring back to what she said in the beginning to your answer, where it's such a different beast when you apply the things that you consult others for to yourself, right? It's, there's this weird universal mm, yeah, principle that <laughs> doctors are the worst patients. And then, you know, it's easy to consult someone else in content marketing or SEO, but then do it for your own side. You're all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? It's, it's weird like that. Totally. Yes, totally. I want to end with three rapid fire questions if, if you're up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Number one, um, what's something weird about you? Hmm. Uh, I really like type two fun type two fun, meaning like, uh, suffering. I like that long runs, uh, challenging runs. Like that's the thing that like, that's where I, I, I don't know. Like it's how I maintain sanity. It's just like going out. I live in the mountains and I live in the Rocky mountains. So it's good opportunities to get out and suffer. So that's weird, but I like it. Yeah, you and I have that in common, just that I don't run with the weights. <laughs> can very much relate to that. Um, second question, what is something you have recently, say in the last six to maybe 12 months, changed your mind about? Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I, yeah, this is, okay. I, I haven't shared this, but I'll share it. Therapy. I, um, 20, I, I, I 2020 has been challenging. It has been challenging for everybody. And I have found myself really for the first time, uh, I've worked from home for a long time, but only this year have I started to feel isolated. And uh, starting a new company has been, um, man, it's so, I feel so vulnerable. You know, when things don't go well, I take it very personally. And uh, yeah, so I started going to therapy and it's not something I thought I would do or need, but um, it's great actually. And so I changed my mind about it and, uh, now feel like, wow, I wish I hadn't kind of attached this stigma to it because I could have benefited from this at plenty of other times in my life. So yeah, that's a big one. Another thing that we have in common. Um, and the last <laughs> one, let's see if we can make it three or three. Um, yeah. what, what is something that you're really excited about outside of work? Mm. Uh, my wife and I have our first baby on the way. So that is, you know, we're, we're super excited. It's, uh, also extremely overwhelming and a little bit scary. Um, but you know, this is like, uh, like obviously our life will be changing significantly, but for the better. And, uh, so yeah, very excited about that. Congratulations to me. That's amazing. Thank you. Very happy for Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Don't know that I'd recommend starting a business, uh, <laughs> and having your first kid in the middle of a pandemic all for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> not sure that was a great idea, but I'm excited about all those things. Yeah, I know a couple of people who who had their first baby on the way while they started their company, uh, not during a pandemic. That's probably pretty unique. But uh, I think it, 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 without having that made an experience myself, it sounds like that that lights a fire under your butt that nothing else will. Definitely, definitely, yeah. To the, way more waking up in the middle of the night wondering like, how am I? Gonna, I got to figure this out. We can't. You know what I mean? Like. That was something that uh, is a little new for me to not be able to like leave some of these things, all of these things really like kind of alone at the end of the day. I have high confidence in you that you will figure those out. Uh, but Jimmy, thank <laughs> you so much, man. These, this was a fantastic conversation, uh, super exciting and enlightening. And uh, I want to thank and appreciate you for your time and the knowledge you shared with us. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to chat, Kevin. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad we should catch up more often, but I'm glad we had the, the record button going this time. Yeah, likewise. Before I let you go, yeah. where can people find you? Uh, superpath.co is where 
everything I'm working on is happening there right now. Uh, this is probably the best thing. And then I spend a lot of time on Twitter, Jimmy underscore daily. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Daly. Three, two, one.